0: You're listening to the Verbatim Word Podcast, where we seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Geary. Summer is near at the time of this recording, and we're looking forward to some much-needed time with friends and family. Some trips and visits planned, which are always a blessing. A few summers now, we have had one of our nieces visit. A week or so of Oklahoma adventure is always a good time. Not sure if she'll make it out this year, but she did it the first time when she was just nine years old, I think. And when she came and went, she flew as an unaccompanied minor meaning she was and did the big kid thing and flew all by herself a brave girl now it's not just like her mom and dad just kicked her out at the curb at the airport in hawaii and wished her luck finding her way to oklahoma and back the airline makes provision for unaccompanied minors to be accompanied each step of the way parents or guardians can go to the gate to see them off a crew member boards them and gets them situated They sit near the flight attendants en route, and the other airline employees pick them up and take them to their next gate all along the way, even taking them to meet the receiving adult on the other end to check for ID and pass them off. It's a pretty awesome process that my niece has used a few times, one that makes the journey possible knowing that she will be accompanied each step of the way. We all benefit from being accompanied from time to time, whether it be having a ride with us for that medical procedure that we should not be driving after, or a plus one to attend the event we need to go to so that we have at least one person to talk to, or the extra set of hands to unload the items we are sent out to deliver, we find ourselves at times reaping the benefits of being accompanied. As we reach the end of the Gospel of Mark, we see that the disciples have accompanied Jesus for about three years now. They walked where he walked, saw what he saw, heard what he taught, and observed what he did. They accompanied him, being offered a front row seat to God in the flesh and their lives will never be the same. And then Jesus' betrayal, his death, burial, and now reports of resurrection, and the real job of the disciples is just about to begin, as they are to take the message forward into all the world. But with such a daunting task, there is one more lesson they need to learn. Jesus will accompany them in their next phase of their calling not in the same way that they had grown used to as they walked the dusty trails of Israel together or navigated the stormy seas of Galilee or shared conversation about the things of the kingdom of heaven under the starlit sky around a small campfire. But moving forward, Jesus would accompany them in a new way. But he would be just as close, if not even more so, because taking the gospel forward was something they could not and should not do alone. It was still Jesus' work and something he would use them in, he assures them that he will accompany them each step of the way let's pick up in mark 16 verse 14 it's sunday and since the first light of dawn jesus has been appearing a resurrected jesus in a resurrected body he appeared to mary magdalene who mistook him for the gardener at first we see in john 20 verses 14 through 16 he appeared to the other women Mary, the mother of James, Salome, and Joanna, Matthew 28, verse 9. The Gospels don't give details, but he appeared to Peter alone that first Sunday, Luke twenty-four, thirty-four, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5. He also appeared to two disciples on the road to Emmaus, seen in Luke 24, verses 13 through 16. And the fifth appearing that Sunday is to the group of disciples, minus Thomas, who will need to wait another week. And so we pick up with this group appearance in Mark 16, verse 14. It says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Such a confusing day, you can imagine, as this group of devoted followers is still processing all that took place two days earlier on the cross. They were in disbelief as the reports came that day that people were seeing Jesus again. It took Jesus showing up in the room for them to finally believe. In fact, verse 14 tells us that Jesus appeared there as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. It seems that Jesus had hoped for them that they would have embraced the good news of his resurrection sooner rather than later, that they could have been and should have been rejoicing all day, sight unseen. If you remember, on at least three occasions, Jesus had told them what to expect when they got to Jerusalem, that he would be betrayed, that he would be killed, but that he would rise again. It seems that they turned a deaf ear or blind eye to the small detail, focusing instead on the first part of what he said about the betrayal and death, so they missed the glorious news that he would rise again. So in those dark hours since Friday, his crucifixion, they had lost all hope. The Lord had given them a promise multiple times, but in their unbelief and hardness of heart, they could not live in the reality of that promise. And they were robbed the whole day, in fact, the whole weekend until Jesus showed up and Thomas would have to wait another week too, God has given us precious promises to accompany us through life. Life will not always be smooth and sweet and effortless and free of hardship, but in those most challenging times, we have promises of God to accompany us in those seasons. Peter was one of those there that evening who was rebuked for his unbelief and hardness of heart, and he wrote these words in his second epistle many years later. Grace and peace God has given us all things, all the tools for life and for godliness to live this life in this world in a way that honors God. And part of that survival kit is that he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. Do you realize that is something that God has given us to get through? If you were to be dropped off in the wilderness and they gave you a survival kit, you might have things like a fire starter, a compass, some first aid things, something sharp, maybe something to cook in or boil in. They would have helped your chances of surviving and getting through. God has provided in his survival kit for us exceedingly great, like better than better and precious, like really, really valuable promises. A promise is something that is not fulfilled yet. Something that will come, but is not yet come. And promises are something that the Lord has given us to cling to now that are not yet fulfilled, but eventually will be. How miserable will we come if we neglect the promises of God? We get stuck in our circumstances, trapped and being overwhelmed. We get lost in the details and drown in the what-ifs. We get paralyzed in the unknown and caught up in survival mode, when all the while God has likely given us some promises to hold to. Though they are not yet fulfilled, they are exceedingly great and they are precious. The problem is that we often try to turn to other things, other solutions, other things to try and get us through rather than to the promises of God. Do you have some promises from God's Word that you're supposed to be clinging to right now? Promises about who He is and what He does? Promises about who you are, regardless of your circumstances or the hard things of life? Promises about God's whole trajectory as a whole that makes this world grow strangely dim in light of the greater things of what is to come? Those great and precious promises are key to our survival kit. Lifeboats, life rings, lifelines— And meant to change us now even if those promises are yet to be fulfilled for the 11 that night they rejoiced no doubt to see jesus but any promises he had given them to accompany them through those last few days had been neglected and ignored and this reunion carried a slightly different tone than it could have been with rebuking and unbelief and hardness of heart It's amusing and disheartening at the same time to watch people in their behavior with their cell phones, how quickly and often we grab to them, we turn to them, we open them up, we pull them out. Any and every circumstance alone in the conversation, pull out your cell phone, sitting in the waiting room, out your cell phone. If you're uncomfortable in a certain social situation, just be distracted by your cell phone. If you need an answer, if you need direction, if you need to get in contact, pull out your cell phones. We always have them at hand. In fact, we're almost addicted to turn to them. You can almost watch people's behavior and you can predict, oh, they're going to get their cell phone out right now. What if we turn to God's promises the same way? For anything and everything. I have a promise for that. Hey, there's a promise for that. Hey, I'm going through this right now. Let's see what God's promises are. This is what I'm experiencing right now. I think there's a promise I can cling to. If only we could turn to God's promises as readily. Now, remember, when it comes to the Gospel of Mark, he's a photographer and not a videographer. He cuts to the chase, gives us the highlights, moves things along rather rapidly next to the most important points. And we know that for 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus kept appearing, reiterating a new concept for them, that he was still there, just not in the same way that they had grown used to the last three years. And so this month and a half of learning a new normal with Jesus, he's preparing them for his ascension and the work that they would carry forward. And the next verses summarize their ministry and call moving forward. Verses 15 and 16. And Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. They believed the message of Jesus and saw the proof of the resurrection. They now had the complete gospel. And as followers of Jesus, this side of the resurrection, there were some things that would accompany their faith. That is the thing. The thing Salvation, well, it's free. Jesus paid it all. He offers us the free gift of the cross, and we can't earn it, pay it off, add to it. His work is complete and finished. And to as many as receive him, those he, who believe in his name, to them he gives the right to become children of God. When Jesus appeared to his disciples that evening in the locked room, Jesus did not bring receipts. Like when you go out to dinner with a group of people and you decide to divide, divide up the bill, everyone passing around the receipt to figure out who owes what. Jesus did not do that when he came out of the grave, bringing the receipt of who owed what or who he paid for for who. It was It was paid in full. But for those who believe and receive, there will be some things here that Jesus says should accompany having been born again and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Salvation is free, but there are things that accompany salvation. First of all, notice that Jesus said in verse 16, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. The first thing that should accompany a true repentance and decision to follow Jesus, well, there will be outward fruit. Manifestations, evidence, even actions that that decision has come. And mentioned here specifically is baptism, the outward sign, the public declaration that an inward decision has been made, that beautiful symbol that is twofold that I have been washed as a follower of Jesus in the blood of of the Lamb, and I am cleansed in a new creation in Christ. But baptism is also symbolic of the death of my old life, my burial in Jesus and the resurrection that has occurred for me now in Jesus. And here, Jesus commands baptism. Accompanying salvation should also come obedience to Jesus and his commands. And a very simple first command to follow, get baptized. Believe and be baptized to outwardly identify with the inner changes that have occurred. Now, some would take this verse to mean that since it says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, that one cannot be saved without having been baptized. However, if you keep reading it says, but he who does not believe will be condemned. It does not mention immediately there that a failure to be baptized would would lead to condemnation. But for someone who truly believes, a baptism should accompany that decision to follow Jesus, believe and be baptized. But it's a stretch to say that not being baptized would leave someone condemned. Though not getting baptized can be discussed as an obedience issue since Jesus puts it as part of the Great Commission, and we see the early church practice in response to getting saved. It accompanied their belief, believe and be baptized. It's interesting that many people hesitate to come to faith because they worry about how they will need to change their lives after, how they will need to start living differently. This almost inherent awareness that there will be outward changes that will accompany coming to Jesus. It's basically understood. But where many people get caught up is in the misunderstanding that they will need to make those changes happen. That they have to perform this sort of extreme christian makeover of sorts and create this new persona now that they have found jesus well it's not true the change begins inwardly and it's expressed in baptism but then that change works itself from the inside outward heart change followed by life changes we become more like jesus it's not a makeover that we need to do on our own actors in hollywood who play characters often spend many hours in the makeup chair specialists, transforming them into the characters that they have to play. Sure, some actors who take on roles have to undergo discipline and lifestyle changes, sometimes for even months before filming begins, to get ripped for some role that they've been cast in. And they do it because they know it's right for the part. But others are passive in the makeup chair. For example, you might remember the Christmas remake of The Grinch with Jim Carrey. Apparently, it took eight hours in the makeup chair each time they were to film. That's a long time to sit there and let them work on you to make you into the part. But the actor did not need to come made up, or did not need to go through some transformation surgeries to permanently look like the Grinch. No, it was part of the deal. They'd make him up to be the Grinch. That was their job, and they'd get their names in the credits. I think the decision to follow Jesus is a bit of both. Some parts of our life, the Lord says, Hey, you believe in me now and follow me? Here's what the role entails. And we get some personal training regimens going, some discipline, some new diet of not eating the carnal things of this world, surrounding ourselves with a team of people, spiritual personal trainers, the church to help keep us on track, just like those actors who need to get ripped for an upcoming role. But a lot of our life when we follow Jesus is us in the makeup chair. And He transforms us little by little from the inside out as we abide in Him, and hopefully not into the Grinch, but into something that resembles Jesus Christ. He changing our hearts, renewing our minds, and us applying what he is doing, responding accordingly to the new nudging in our hearts, the new thinking in our minds as we are renewed in his word. And choosing to live the life, the new life of the spirit, and no longer the old life of the flesh. Paul wrote to the Philippians, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And to the Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Every part of our lives is to be sanctified, to be set apart for holy use, spirit, mind, and body. He who calls us to it is faithful, and he also will do it. And a simple acknowledgement and declaration that we agree to that is baptism, an outward symbol of an inward truth. Another thing that will accompany becoming a follower of Jesus was found back in verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Something else that will accompany becoming a believer is sharing our faith, the call to share the gospel. We often think that that is something that evangelists are called to do, right, or professionals in the church. The gospel is the evangel, the good news, and an evangelist is someone who spreads the good news. And though our primary gift in the body of Christ may not be to be an evangelist, nevertheless, we are all called to be a part of sharing the gospel in whatever way we can. Paul was writing to young Timothy in his second letter. In fact, it would be Paul's final letter in Scripture and final recorded instructions to Timothy. And he wrote, But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist fulfill your ministry. Timothy was primarily a pastor and teacher. He would go in after Paul and remain behind to help the churches in those towns get established, to raise up and appoint leaders, to help the churches get on their feet. But Paul told him that he would need to do the work of an evangelist too. And even though it was not Timothy's primary gifting, it was still something he was called to do, as are all of us, to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's the collective call of the church, but the individual call in our lives too. That does not mean that we will all end up in Africa or need to head out to the street corners, stand on a milk crate and preach to strangers, though some will be called to do those things and will see fruit in their obedience. But all of us have a part in spreading the good news of Jesus, that he has come and saved us and wants to do the same for others. And it's not like that by receiving the gospel and becoming a Christian, you're now part of some network marketing pyramid sales thing where you need to do your part to keep the thing going. It's an outflowing, something that accompanies the work that Jesus has done for us. We're to tell the world. In our on-demand world, people are quick to tell the world and post their thoughts on all sorts of things. Have a good experience? Post about it and see the impact. Have a bad experience? Tell the world about it. I just saw a friend on social media who posted about a bad airline experience. A number of posts, in fact, all after a computer outage at the airline. And they did not seem to handle it well, the airline, that is. And this person was tactful, but forward in their sharing about the issue. But sharing about the good things has been a game changer for many in our on-demand world. I read a story about a lady in New York who had a TikTok account with her three sisters and on a whim on a December night, decided to go to a restaurant called Skirt Steak. She heard people talking about the restaurant's $28 steak dinners with all-you-can-eat fries. So she went, tried it out, filmed her positive review, and sent it to her sisters to edit the footage. And two days later, it was posted. And by the end of the day, had hit one million views. The owner of the restaurant was working that day and looked outside and saw more than 100 people waiting in line to eat. The owner said, it's nuts. One day you're doing normal service and the next you're doubling covers because someone posted a video of your food and the space. The power of sharing something good, even on TikTok. There were no online channels to share with in the days of the first church, but it did need to be shared. The good news is so good in our lives. We go out and preach it everywhere in every way that we can. Jesus tells the disciples, this message was not to stay locked in the room with the 11 of them. It was not their secret to keep. It was their responsibility to share. Notice that Jesus uses the imperative verb go, Not just wait until it comes to you, but go. Go can mean heading out geographically, going on that missions trip to take the gospel across borders and cultures. Go can mean stepping out intentionally to your friends and family, making an effort to steer the conversation toward the things that God and share what he is doing in your life and in you. Go can mean positioning ourselves in this world where we fit best in our careers, our hobbies, our interests, our social circles and seeking Jesus daily for how we can bring the Gospel into those spheres. Go can mean harnessing creativity and technology and steps of faith to innovate how to take the Gospel to those who need it. Go can mean having a burden for and consistently reaching a particular segment of society with a need that can only be met ultimately in Jesus. Being a part of going is something that should accompany the Gospel entering our lives. The ripple effect should extend beyond ourselves and we shall not rest until we have seen it reach every creature is there a go nudging at your heart lately something that you feel the urge to press into to rekindle to pour into it could be the call of jesus and it's his burden that he has shared with you he paid the ultimate price to secure the gospel and he longs to see it reach the fullest extent possible so that none of it goes wasted As the gospel goes forth, Jesus mentions as well some of the other signs that will accompany those who believe. Verses 16 and 17. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These signs will follow those who believe. The word there for follow is parakaleotheo, The root para means alongside or beyond. The word means to follow after. So to follow one is to always be by their side, to follow close or to accompany, to be right on the heels of someone. Jesus is saying that these things will follow closely, will be near to those who believe, that there will be signs that accompany those who believe, a supernatural element to their lives that was not there before. That, of course, comes because of the Holy Spirit a supernatural element that should accompany our life in Christ. The Holy Spirit in the life of the believer gives us power to live this life for Jesus, power over sin, power and passion to love Him and serve Him. The Holy Spirit will bear fruit in our lives, Christ-like characteristics that come from Him living in us and through us and the holy spirit can endow us with giftings that are not part of ourselves or heighten natural born talents and abilities that we he harnesses for his work in a way that he gets the glory and that bears fruit beyond our own efforts jesus tells us these things to the group of 11 who are gathered in the room timid and scared that they are to go out of that room break out of that rut they're to go into the world and they're to preach the gospel beyond their limitations and borders and as they did these signs will follow those who believe In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. This is not like a Marvel movie where the hero is born with some special enablings or some science experiment or spider bite or something else gives that Marvel character some super cool human tricks. But the Holy Spirit will show up in the lives of those who believe. He will follow them closely. And these things will accompany the work of sharing the gospel by those with sincere hearts to do so. Now, many people get uncomfortable with these verses, and others get too comfortable with these verses. What I mean is that some people write these off as apostolic manifestations of these things. As we see in the early church in Acts, demons were cast out, like the young fortune teller in Philippi, which was the catalyst to Paul and Silas ending up in prison there. The new tongues, as on the day of Pentecost and a first sign of many who came to faith in the book of Acts, declaring the wonderful works of God, praising him in unknown tongues. Serpents, Paul on the island of Malta after the shipwreck, reaching into a bundle of sticks, bitten and they all waited for him to die, but he didn't. And the healings, too many to note, but even Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons were taken to those who were sick and they were healed. And truly, the early church did see these things accompany the believers as they took the gospel into a hostile, Christ-rejecting world, the accompanying signs going along with them, power going along with the message that they were sharing, testifying that this was indeed the gospel and should be heeded. But those early believers, they did not have this before they came to Jesus. Even the disciples who had gone through a three-year internship with Jesus Christ at the end of the Gospel of Luke he, said, Luke, he said, do not leave Jerusalem until you're endowed with power from on high. There was something more that was needed, something that would accompany the Gospel, something that would accompany their calling and their charge to go forth. It was the Holy Spirit. For this timid group of apostles, the call to go was a challenge. It would be hard to leave their comfort, to go into the unknown. They would be fearful of things. So he gives them encouragement. I will be with you even in those hardest, most intimidating circumstances. But did these things end with the first apostles, the first tier of those who set the gospel in motion, a momentum that we're still riding almost 2,000 years later? Notice, these signs will follow or accompany those who believe. They will not drive those who believe, they or lead those who believe. If we seek a signs and wonder-filled life, our hearts are often amiss. But if we seek a Jesus-filled life, We should not be surprised when the supernatural accompanies our life and our ministry, because Jesus shows up. And those are the things that he does. Now, some have gone off, of course, snake-handling cults and so on and so forth, using these verses to justify their actions and their practices, putting the Lord to the test. And in other cases, feelings of shame if you do not have enough faith to see a healing or experience a healing, because after all, Jesus said these things would accompany those who believe that they would lay their hands and they would recover. So does no healing mean no faith or no belief? If you don't speak in tongues, are you really truly saved? Do you really have the Holy Spirit? Because here he said they would speak in tongues. You see, these can be tricky waters if we interpret it that way. Jesus did not call us to go out on our own, but to go out and enter into the work that he is already doing. And if we go with Jesus, we should expect that Jesus will show up doing things that Jesus can I also think that the things Jesus says here are part of the encouragement for the call. That really they were to go in faith and not worry about all the things that they might face, that sorry that they might face, the hard things, the challenging things, the dangerous things even, that he would come through. That they would face spiritual strongholds that they could not bring down, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That they would go through disheartening and discouraging times, but God would give them new tongues to praise Him in the Spirit, even if their own reasoning and understanding found it hard to praise the Lord in that moment. They could worship Him by faith, edifying themselves in those times with a gift that God would give them. They would find themselves in trials and circumstances less than ideal, out in the elements on their journeys, sleeping under the stars. And if serpents came along, they would be protected in those vulnerable situations because they were there with Jesus they would not always have comforts and luxuries they might drink something that could make them sick or harm them even deadly and the lord could protect them a whole new meaning of saying grace for your food when you think about in many ages of church history there were no fda packaging rules and eating on the road would be taking a risk as many travelers say even with our modern conveniences have found out they would face physical needs along the way as well and god would provide the supernatural resources to meet those needs too all a testimony of him being with them as they did his work. And that is important to remember. And whatever Jesus calls us to, he accompanies us. He invites us into his work alongside of him, not sending us off to do it with our own motivation or resources, but inviting us to accompany him and he us as we partner together in the gospel. Let that be an encouragement to us. Are the things you are doing being done in your own strength, your own power, ability? resources, wisdom, and experience? If so, remember there's a limit to what you can do. You will hit a wall. But asking Jesus to accompany you, or better yet, realizing that you are accompanying Jesus in what he is doing, that is when it opens up things for a new dynamic that perhaps you have been longing and wanting to see. Mark wraps up his gospel in these final two verses. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs, amen. Jesus was received up into heaven 40 days after the resurrection. We get that story in Acts chapter one, as they watched him ascend with a promise to return coming in the same way. And now sitting at the right hand of God, his earthly ministry complete now living to make intercession for us and make plans for his return. Our salvation is accomplished. Jesus is sitting. There is no more else to do in order to accomplish our salvation. How good is that to know? Jesus is not pacing the marble floors of heaven, anxious about how he is going to take care of your next mess up, wringing his hands stressed out about whether you will hold it all together. He's not crossing his fingers just hoping you'll be conformed into his image. He is sitting down at the right hand of God. It's the place of honor, the place of power, the place of authority. In the parallel passage in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What comfort and confidence there is in that, that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Over my life, over your life, over our world, he is in charge, all authority, what that realization can free us to do embolden us to do empower us to do no wonder the first believers have such a profound boldness and impact on their world they believed that authority they watched him ascend and in that confidence they impacted that world we read by mark's hand and they went out and preached everywhere the lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs amen they followed through with what jesus had done but don't miss the verse we read a few minutes ago, just a few verses back. Jesus had rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. But he as he appeared to them and revealed himself to them in his resurrection power, as he charged them to go forth and promised them that he'd accompany them, as they watched him ascend and held on to his word that he'd come back, they went out and they preached everywhere, each stop along the way, at home, at the market, on the road, in the synagogue, everywhere. There was a need for Jesus everywhere, so they preached everywhere. And the Lord was working with them, through them, around them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. The word accompanying there is apokalutheo, sorry for my Greek. Same stem as a word that we looked at earlier, but this one's prefix is epi, which means above, or upon, or on, or over, or near, or at. These signs followed close upon them, followed after them, right on their heels. The word meant to tread in one's footsteps, to imitate one's example. Well, whose example? Jesus' example. The work of Jesus was followed up by these believers of the gospel. It was not just enough that they believed. It was not just enough that they showed that they'd been baptized, or that they changed and bore fruit, or that they went out, but that they made an impact. The work of Jesus continued through them, as he desires to do through you and I as well. Jesus is still working today until he returns. He is working and he will work. And he has called us and equips us and accompanies us wherever he has placed us or wherever he calls us to go. We are not Christians just to have a better life or make things more palatable for ourselves in this world. We're fulfilling Jesus's mission, the Great Commission, And it is a thrilling thing to be a part of, however he calls us to do so. And that is my prayer for you as we finish the Gospel of Mark in Season 3 of the podcast. That you would take up the call, your call. That you would be a part of making disciples right where you are or wherever he sends you. Can we just say yes to him? Say yes to the work he wants to do in us and through us? There's no greater calling and purpose for our lives, is there? So Lord, we praise you that you have made us the way to be saved and that you have not left us as orphans, Lord, but you came to us. The Holy Spirit sealing us and guiding us and sanctifying us and empowering us. Lord, change us where we need to be changed and use us where we can be used. Fill us where we need to be filled. May we hear your call and heed your call. And may you accompany us each and every step of the way. May we get out of the way so that you might shine through. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's it. Season 3 of the Verbatim Word podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope God is using it in his plans for your life and we're blessed to be a part of it. Whoever you are, wherever you are and whatever he's doing in you and through you. I'm going to take a break for a bit as before we drop season 4 of the podcast. It's been a busy season. And it's always fruitful to take some time to abide in the Lord and to recalibrate. So this is a natural breaking point. I may be dropping some bonus episodes in the meantime, so you might want to subscribe to the podcast so that you'll get those notifications when I do post something. But more or less, we'll pause for a bit as we gear up for season four. I encourage you to go back and re-listen to any episodes that you've missed, or take a second listen to books that we've gone through. It's amazing how much we can get upon a second listen as we meditate on the Word of God, the Holy Spirit showing us new things. God speaks in new ways that we didn't quite get the first time or the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance the things that he's already shown us in a more impactful way. So we have over 150 episodes up now. Find some in the archives to feed upon until season four. And if you're listening weekly and caught up at the time of this recording, we'll probably be back in August or September. So enjoy your summer. Stay in his word as you seek biblical truth in a daily context. I'm Justin Gary.